Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, I, I think that uh, whether you're inside the family of Christ or maybe outside looking in, uh, from time to time, Christian people do things that create scandals. They do something that's very much unlike their father, God, or unlike what the Bible says, and inside the family of Christ, we're saddened and disappointed, and outside the family of Christ, perhaps it's a, an opportunity for, for all kinds of things, maybe ridicule or maybe laughing, or it could be someone will say, that's why I'm not a Christian, because a, a God follower will do something that's very much unlike God. And so whenever I, I talk about scandal, my guess is that you and I have some ideas about what I could be talking about. But the thing that I want to say to you today is that uh, sometimes we're not always the best at judging what might be the darkest scandals in a Christian's life. Because the things that we might focus on, maybe the more sensational sins, if I could put it that way, that, that Christians do, and I'm sure they're wrong, and, and, and that believer will deal with it, but my guess is that some of us today who don't have any of that kind of stuff in our lives could have something in our lives that's a great deal more scandalous. And it's for that reason that I'm bringing this talk this weekend. Because I want to talk to you, well, let me back up for a moment. I want to call you back to when you were growing up. And I don't know how many of you had parents like I had. I had parents who loved me very much, but I had parents who had guidelines. They had boundaries in our home. And if I broke those rules or broke those or violated those boundaries, um, I was going to get into some trouble. And I'm grateful for that because that taught me a lot of things. And, and some of you grew up in homes with moms and dads that way, or maybe you grew up in a single family home. And I'll tell you, single family parents who are, who are believers, you guys are my heroes. Um, I'm just telling you, if you, had a, if you grew up in a home with a loving parent who also had rules and guidelines, then you sort of know what I'm talking about. I, I knew when I was growing up, there were certain things that my dad cared greatly about, and I was very careful not to cross over those lines. For instance, I would never have even thought about disrespecting my mother. <laughs> that was just, I would have gone to see Jesus real quickly <laughs> if, if I had done that. So I didn't, I didn't even think about it. It wasn't even on my radar screen because that was very important to my dad. And then there were a lot of things that were just very important. There were things that I knew that really weren't all that important to him, but there were certain things that I knew were very important. I was cautious about those. And all I'm saying to those of us who are here today is we, many of us, are, are sons and daughters of God. Or it could be that you're not quite spiritually resolved, but you're open to, to having a relationship with God. And so that might be in your future very soon. And, and this is what I love. I, I just love my job. I, I get to tell you that this is not about religion. It's not about jumping through certain hoops and, and, and making God uh, to the, you know, pleased enough with you to accept you. The Bible tells us if you go back to, the, to week three when we talked about you must be born again, what God wants to do is he wants to birth you into his family. He wants to adopt you, if you can just mix those metaphors, he wants to adopt you as his son or daughter. That is great. In fact, my favorite chapter in the Bible, I think the greatest chapter in the Bible is Romans chapter 8. And that's a great chapter for you to read when you go home today on this particular topic. Because what it says is that when you prayed to receive Christ, that God adopted you and not only adopted you, but gave you such an attitude of being adopted 
that it's just natural for you to talk to God and call him Father. You know, I mean, how many of you pray in the morning and you say, like, like Colt prayed a few moments ago, Father God, I mean, what, what is it that causes us just to, to reach out to the God of the universe who made everything that ever was or is? What is it that causes us to reach out to him and say, Dad? It's because we've received that attitude of adoption when we pray to receive Jesus Christ. And if you think that's something, just keep reading through Romans chapter 8, and what you'll discover is that not only are we heirs of God, we are joint heirs with Christ. God has become our Father. Jesus has become our brother. He certainly is entitled to everything that belongs to God. The earth and the universe is his and everything inside of it. But the Bible says not only is Jesus an heir, because we've been adopted, we're joint heirs with Jesus. Now, how cool is that? <laughs> now, here's the thing, though. If, if God is our Father and we are his sons and daughters, it's probably smart for you and me to know what our Father cares about real deeply and to make sure that we don't cross that line because even though we can never lose our relationship with God, well, you know, like President Reagan used to say about his, his opposition in the Soviet Union, he would say, until they can see the light, they'll feel the heat. And sometimes the Lord is that way with us. Until we can see the light, we'll feel the heat. And I want us to see the light so that we don't have to feel the heat today. And I want to talk to you about something that, well, I just want to talk to us about something today that is really, really important. Okay, so uh, today, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to get to, to Matthew chapter 18 eventually. But before we do, I just want to show you how important this particular thing is to God and how scandalous it is if it's in the life of a Christian. The reason I say that is there are a lot of us here today, you know, we're not in any kind of sex problem. We're not in any kind of... You know, we're not strung out on drugs or anything that would make the eagle if they found out that a Christian leader was in something like that. But this is something that could be in your life and my life, and it's huge to God and it's scandalous if it's there. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Matthew six fourteen. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, now some of us are going to say, "No, just wait a minute here, God." You mess that line up. Let me help you with that. But if you can't forgive others, could I just let you know that that is a concept that is totally lost on Jesus? For some reason, it works with us. We say, well, I just can't forgive. I, I keep searching Scripture, and it just seems like God is totally oblivious to that concept. This thing about being not, not being able, because the way he looks at it, he says, if you refuse to forgive others, your father... Now, this is a father relationship. This is not like God way out there in the distance and I don't have a relationship. This is like Mark being God's adopted son. It says your father will not forgive your sins. Now instantly I'm terrified because I can't afford, maybe you're such a good person that you can afford that. You can say, well, I'm just not going to forgive because I'm so good. I don't even need God to forgive me. Guys, I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. If God doesn't forgive me, I'm not just dead. I'm so dead, Okay. Now, Mark 11, verse 25, but when you're praying, now, and, and, and some of you will have a translation to say when you stand praying, because this is like praying in worship. This is like what we were doing a few moments ago. This is when we were worshiping, this is when we're praying. Well, when you're praying, first, forgive anyone. Oh, my goodness. Can we get that word out of there? Can we say anyone but him? Can we say anyone but her? Now, but when you are praying, first, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. 
Uh, guys, the reason why this made the big eight, and it was part of red letters, which by the way, red letters is all about the words of Jesus because in a lot of Bibles, the words of Jesus are in red. The reason why this made the big eight is because, as you can see, there's so much at stake here. God loves me. He wants to hear from me. He wants to answer my prayers. But if I refuse to forgive anyone, heaven closes for business. I can be in worship. I can be expressive. I can, you know, I can do all the things that we enjoy doing in worship. I can sing. I can lift my hands. I can go through all the motions of, wow, wasn't worship great? But if, on the other hand, I, I don't have, I, there's somebody in my life I haven't forgiven. God is like this. Or worse yet, I'm desperate. I'm praying, God, please answer my prayer. I need help. Well, Mark, there's a little matter between you and somebody else, and you get that squared away, then you come back, and then we'll talk. Do you hear how quiet it's getting in here? <laughs> it was getting just that quiet when Jesus was talking. But there was one of Jesus' disciples who was like me, who was a poster child for ADD, and he cannot keep his mouth shut. And so he is uncomfortable by Jesus' message about forgiveness, so very skillfully he thinks he is going to try to enter into negotiation with Jesus. Have you ever tried to have negotiation with God? God is saying, do this, and you're saying, let's see, how many times do I have to do this? So Peter is listening to Jesus talk about forgiveness. So I'm going to do something. I want to read a whole story to, to you, and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about it. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, when I was a kid reading this, I used to think, that's pretty impressive for Peter to forgive somebody seven times. I mean, if somebody messes you around and, 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 and you forgive them seven times, I used to think, well, let's not jump on Peter here because forgiving somebody seven times is pretty impressive. And Peter was asking this because, A, it was the number of perfection, seven, and the rabbis taught three times. So Peter thought, well, I'm just going to go four better and give the number of perfection. But I, I just, after the years of, of talking on this, it came to me one day, does, the Bible doesn't say Peter actually forgave anybody seven times. Please don't raise your hand. But how many of you grew up in church like me? A lot of you didn't grow up in church, and sometimes I think you have the advantage on the rest of us who especially grew up in traditional churches. Because, see, here's the deal. A lot of us who grew up in church, we learn the jargon. We learn the talk. We can talk religion at the water cooler. But a lot of times, what we talk about in religion never really gets into our lives, and it's sort of a theoretical kind of relationship with God. And I think that's what was going on with Peter here. Peter it doesn't say he actually forgave anybody seven times. It was like, God, on, on a religious discussion here, let's just ask the question, what if, what if seven times? But that's not the real problem with Peter's question. Because Peter is not sincerely wanting to know about forgiveness, think with me for a moment. What is the question that Peter is asking? He is asking, Lord, when can I stop forgiving? When can I bust him in the mouth? When can I get sweet vengeance? When can I stop? Jesus must have blown his mind because in verse 22, he answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. So some of you will have a translation that says seven times 70, which is 490. It really doesn't matter because here's the deal. If you forgive somebody 77 times or 490, either one, you've long since quit keeping score. 
And that's what Jesus was saying. No, Peter, not just the number of perfection, but the number of perfection times the number of perfection times 10. It is at that point that Jesus tells our story. And I'm going to read the entire story to you, if you don't mind, please. This is Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, in other words, based on the conversation that he just had with Peter, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. That's a good idea. Our, our politicians should do this too. He's wanting to balance the budget. We'll say that for another day. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. Oh, what a huge line. Canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master, the king, called the servant, the first guy in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had on you? In anger. And I think we ought to pay attention to this because some of us think that God is the Pillsbury Doughboy in the sky. He is not. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all, the, all he owed. And then this huge line, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Well, as I said a moment ago, here's the story. The king is out to balance his budget. He is checking on all the outstanding debts. This is an incredible, I mean, it's, a, it's just a strange story that Jesus is telling here. The numbers, as you'll, you'll know in just a moment, are extreme. This king calls in a servant who makes an ordinary working man's paycheck he calls this servant in and says, I see that you owe, owe me, and I have given you this amount based on Friday's clothes for gold, and I didn't even put the change on there, okay? I just took the dollar amount for the clothes for gold. This guy owed 18, are you ready for this? 18 billion, 291 million, 200,000 dollars. And some of you are saying, Mark, by strange coincidence, that's what I owe. I can't believe it. No. <laughs> Can you, do you realize Jesus is getting a point across here? This guy owes, let's just round it off to $18 billion, okay? $18 billion. How in, the, how, how in the world did he ever wind up owing $18 billion? I mean, I always wanted to know when I'd read this story, how did he borrow that amount? I always figured he must have broken something really expensive. $18 billion, and the king says, hey, come in, buddy. You owe me. Pay me $18 billion. Put it right here. Well, of course, you and I know it's facetious. There's no way in the world this man can pay that debt. It is the quintessential definition of an unpayable debt. 
Not only was the principal unpayable, had the man worked for the rest of his life, he could not even have come up with one day's interest on that, account, on that amount of money. So you can imagine how pathetic and how ridiculous it was for this poor servant to fall before the king and say to him, please, sir, give me some time. Time was not on his side. Time was his enemy. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. The interest was building on that mammoth death. But amazingly, the king in our story was touched. I mean, the king understood clearly what this man was about to experience. Obviously, he couldn't pay the $18 billion, and the law allowed in those days, if a person couldn't pay their bills, this, the, the person himself could be sold into slavery, his wife could be sold into slavery, his kids could be sold into slavery, and all of his possessions could be liquidated and, and sold to try to recoup some of the debt. And this poor man on his face before the king. He knew what was going to happen if he became a servant or a slave. In those days, there were no laws regulating slavery. There were certainly no bankruptcy protections. I mean, this guy was going to be a slave. I mean, there's no telling what could happen to him. There was certainly no telling what would happen to his wife. There was certainly no telling what would happen to his, his kids. As I said, slaves were pieces of property. There, was, there were no rules governing slavery. And so this poor guy was falling on his face before the king, realizing what was about to happen to him, what was about to happen to his wife, what was about to happen to his two boys. And the king looked at this poor fellow groveling at his feet. And the king just had this overwhelming pity that came to his heart. And the king said, you know what? I'm just going to forgive you of everything, $18 billion. You don't owe me anything. Can we imagine what it's like to be debt-free? Most of us probably will never know that in our lifetime. But debt-free. He had walked up up the the steps of the palace chopped liver. He was going to be a slave. His whole family was going to be a slave. He had walked down the steps of the palace, a totally free man. I imagine it must have been awesome for him to go home and tell his wife, babe, you're not going to believe, you just are not going to believe what happened down to the palace. We're debt free. Can you see him as he hugs his wife and he hugs his kids and says, "Don't, don't we have an awesome king? I don't know what it is about human nature, but that kind of feeling just leaks. There's something about gratitude that we human beings struggle with. You know, when we're in a lot of trouble, we get really desperate, but then our situation can like resolve, and it's like, well, okay, thanks. I'm going to move on with life now. I remember many, many years ago at our old location, there was a guy who, who came, he was, he was just begging to come in to see me. His wife came to our church, he never came. But he, he was just begging, he said, I need, to, I need to see, I need to talk with you. So I, I let him come in, I set up an appointment, and, and I asked him what was going on. And he worked for one of the aircraft companies here in Wichita, and I don't remember exactly what he had done, but he had done something dishonest, and he was in a lot of trouble, and he had been told he was most likely going to lose his job. And he was terrified. I mean, he was coming into my office, and he was confessing everything up to the Kennedy assassination. He just... I mean, he just said, would you pray with me? And, and, and so indeed we did. I mean, I got down on my knees by my couch, and he got down on his knees beside me, and he started praying. And he said, oh, God, I'm sorry for this, and I'm sorry for that, and I promise if you will let me keep my job, I will love you, I will serve you, I will read my Bible, I will pray, I will come to church, every, I'll, be, I'll be at every service. I mean, he was just like pouring out his heart to God, and I thought, wow, this is pretty amazing. I didn't think he would keep his job. 
But I prayed for him, and God answered prayer, his prayer, my prayer. And amazingly, he kept his job. I think he came one time. That's human nature. And it wasn't long before this euphoria of being forgiven leaked. And this guy who had been forgiven $18 billion went out and found a fellow servant who owed him $50. And he said, pay me what you owe me. And the guy said, look, I just don't have an army right now. Would you just wait for a little while, please? And this guy who had been forgiven so much, who had asked the same thing of the king, took the guy, did what he could do legally, had him thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. And their co-workers found out about it, what he had done. And they went back to the king, and they said to the king, you know the guy you forgave $18 billion? He found a co-worker who owed him $50, and he wouldn't forgive him, and he threw him in prison. And the Bible says the king was angry. Let's take a time out right now. Man, Jesus is not wasting time with this story. He's not just throwing his breath to the wind. He's explaining something to Peter. And he's explaining something to Mark, and he's explaining something to you. Who's the king? That's God. That's easy. That's a two-inch putt. I don't know. I've missed some of those. Let's say it's a one-inch putt. <laughs> the king is God. What's the debt? What's the $18 billion? That's my sin, and that's your sin. There's no way. Listen, let me just tell you this. There are only two ways that your sin can be paid for. Either you will go to hell and spend eternity in hell paying for them, or the Son of God will pay for them for you on a cross six hours, one Friday in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. That is it. See, here's the thing. We think our sins are not so bad. We have no idea how. I mean, here's the deal. First of all, just take a look at the cross. Look what they cost Jesus. I mean, it wasn't just his body that was made an offering for sin. I'll talk about this on Palm Sunday. It was his soul that was made an offering. God destroyed his son in every way imaginable so that he could pay for your and my sins so that you and I wouldn't have to. Our sin is an unpayable debt. Mine is, what am I going to do about my past sins? Even if I could be perfect for the rest of my life, what am I going to do about my past? I can't uncommit them. They're awful. They're ugly. They're huge. They caused Jesus to go to the cross. It's an unpayable debt. Well, in most of our lives, or many of our lives, there was a time when we realized we couldn't pay the debt. Maybe it was sometime here at New Spring. Maybe it happened years ago. Maybe, maybe it just happened this week. As, as I heard yesterday with several people last night at New Spring, there was a moment where you realize, I can't pay it. And you fall before God, and you say, God, have, have mercy on me. I, I can't pay my debt. It's so big. I can't undo it. I don't know what to do with all that. And you fall before God, and God says, you know what? I love you. I love you so much. I want a relationship with you. You know what? The $18 billion that you can't pay and you can't handle the interest on, I'm just going to forgive you. I'm just going to wipe it clean. The slate is clean. All your past sin, all your, and this is one that freaks a lot of us out, even our future sin. But what would we do if he didn't forgive us of our future sin? By the way, when Jesus died on the cross, everybody in the Old Testament, their sins were already past. Our sins are all future. Jesus dealt with sin once and for all on the cross. And when we fell before him and we said, we're sorry, and God, we can't do anything about it, the Lord just said, I'm going to forgive you. And we walked out free. But that leaks. And along comes somebody in our world 
his sins against us. Now here's the thing that's gonna be a little bit sensitive and a little controversial. The $50 is what people do to us juxtaposed against what we did to God. Because what happens is we tend to think the $50 is what we did to God and the 18 billion is something that somebody's done to us, which is why we say we can't forgive. But if we were to be honest and look at what our sin cost Jesus, the $50 is what someone does to us in contradistinction, juxtaposed against what we did to God. And then somebody hurts us, and we say, well, I'm going to get even with that. We won't say that perhaps out loud, but it is, I'm going to get even, or I'm going to give that person the cold shoulder, or I'm going to hate that person, or I'm just, I am never going to let that person out. And we don't forgive that person. And then, I don't know what this means, guys. I've been teaching on this chapter since I was 16 years old, and honestly, I've, I've looked at it in Greek. I've looked at it in, with commentators. I've tried to understand. I have no idea what the Bible means by this, but it scares me to death because Jesus is saying, look, Mark, after I've forgiven you of that $18 billion sin debt, if you don't forgive your fellow person of $50, $50 debt with you, then God is saying, I'm going to deliver you over to the tormentors, and I don't know what that means, but it scares the life out of me. If I were to draw a bottom line for this talk, what Jesus is trying to teach you and me is we can afford to forgive. Forgiven people can always afford to forgive. Now, I know that at the moment that I get here, I'm kind of at a why. Because for some of us, we have sort of everyday things to forgive. And, and we sort of have fairly normal relationships. And so we deal with forgiveness on that basis. Others of you have been through something extraordinarily awful. You have this mountain peak horrible thing that happened to you. And I'm very sensitive to the fact that, that that's a very different thing. So I want to talk to you for a few moments about what forgiveness is not so that we won't get the wrong impression. Forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness isn't saying that didn't hurt. Now, that is my nature. If, if I get hurt, I, I, they're, 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 when, it, when it comes to sports, there are two things about sports with me. Number one, I will, you, you, may, you, you may beat me, but you will have to kill me. That is my first thing. And then secondly, I get hurt. I don't know, everything I play, I get hurt, you know? I mean, if I took up, you know, I don't know, if, I, I, I remember I, I took up golf. I mean, I, I tore up my knee playing football, broke an arm playing football. I took up golf because I thought that was a, a gentleman's sport. And I was over at Braeburn one day, and a guy hit a hot shot off the tent tee and just, I mean, about, you know, caught me right on the back of the head and knocked me out colder than a mackerel. I, I just get hurt. If I took up chess, I get carpal tunnel. It's just what I'm like. And, and you know... <laughs> I, I want to say when I get hurt, I'm okay. Leave me alone. I'm fine. I, I tore an ACL out of my left knee, and I said to everybody around me, just two things. Leave me alone. I'm fine, and don't tell Mary Alice. That's <laughs> denial. Hey, that's not what forgiveness is. I mean, God isn't asking us to pretend that something didn't hurt. Nor is forgiveness necessarily restoration to trust. 
Because you and I will forgive some people that are still predators. And even though we have forgiven them, we cannot let them come back into a place to trust. So forgiveness is not necessarily restoration of trust. What is forgiveness? I want to give you, <laughs> I want to give you three metaphors from the Bible that, that, that communicate forgiveness to me. Number one, forgiveness. This is the best definition I can give you. Forgiveness is tearing up the invoice. The invoice says you owe me. You've done something wrong. You've hurt me. You owe me. And every time you see that person, you have the invoice there. Some of you are in relationships where you have stacks of invoices. You have your stack. He has his stack. And it's really hard to carry on a marriage because there's so many invoices there. Forgiveness is tearing up the invoice and saying, look, you don't owe me anymore. And here's the deal. You know, you say, well, Mark, if, if I did that, that person would get off scot-free. Don't you think God can handle things? Forgiveness is just, look, I don't want to handle this anymore. I don't want to carry a grudge. I don't want to carry hatred. Because here's the thing. It will destroy you. I see people sometimes whose grudge and whose hatred does more damage to themselves than it does to the person that's the target of their invective. Forgiveness is tearing up the invoice. I always think about forgiveness this way. Forgiveness is letting the person out of the handcuffs. Some of you are handcuffed to somebody right now. And it's all you can think about is what that person has done to you. And every place you go, here's the deal, that person goes with you. You know, if you saw two people in handcuffs, it might be hard for you to know which one had the cuffs on the other one. Because they're both in bondage. And when we forgive someone, we just say, look, I'm going to let you out of the handcuffs. I don't want to be handcuffed to you. I don't want you to be handcuffed to me. If it's a love relationship, then you don't want each other to be in bondage. If it's a relationship with somebody who's a predator, you sure don't want to be in a, a handcuffed to a predator. You just say, I want to let you go and turn it over to God and let God deal with it. And then finally, <laughs> before I give you this third one, I don't watch reality shows. To me, that's an oxymoron. But I have friends who do, which is almost as good as uh, watching reality shows because they tell you what, what's on. And I, I've never seen this show, but I, I heard at one point there was a show about people that just have, like, have clutter in their homes, and they, they'll get rid of stuff. And then they just collect stuff and never throw anything away. And after a while, they're like living in this tiny cramped space because they just have so much clutter in the house. To me, that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is taking out the trash. Forgiveness is saying, I don't want to live with trash in my house. I am taking out the trash. And today, I'm tearing up all the invoices. I'm letting everybody out of the handcuffs. And I'm taking out the trash. I'm forgiven because I'm forgiven. I can afford to be generous. I can afford to be charitable. I can forgive. And I'm going to get on with my life and leave God to judge everything. And you know when you do that, heaven opens back up. Why is this so big to God? I, still, I opened by talking about scandals that Christians could, could be in, and you and I know what we think about when we think about stuff like that, but did you really think that unforgiveness was a scandal? I mean, what if you heard that Mark Hoover wouldn't forgive somebody? Well, duh, that's just life. Would it be a scandal? 
would we say how awful that is? I mean, what if I heard about you that you wouldn't forgive somebody? I got to be honest with you. It's like, well, you know, that's sort of a human situation. Everybody kind of does it. But see, God doesn't look at it that way. God looks at it as scandalous. We've been forgiven so much. We've been forgiven $18 billion debt, and we, we try to throw somebody into prison who's, you know, who owes us $50. Why is that so big to God? Well, it might do well for us for, us for a moment to uh, sort of see and, and consider what God wants from us. Does God, I got to tell you guys, no, please no disrespect. God's goal for your life is not for you to be a good Baptist or a good Catholic or a good Presbyterian or any religion. I mean, God's, God's goal for your life is not even for you to be a good New Springer. God's goal for your life is for you to resemble your father. In between the services last night, my granddaughters came into my office. And, and my youngest summer calls me Epa. I just love that. And so I, I had Cheyenne and Summer with me for a few moments, and I was looking at them, and, and their mom, Wendy, was in there. And, and I started looking at them, and I thought, man, I can see Wendy, I can see Jonathan. You know, it just sort of depends, the angles and stuff. I see both parents. And they remind me of their parents. You are never more like God than when you forgive. Because when you forgive, you're just acting like your father. You're just acting like your father. And God looks down from heaven and he says, I recognize my daughter now. I recognize my son now. For a little while, I couldn't recognize him. But I recognize my son now. I recognize my daughter. Father, thank you for what we've learned. Help us, Father, because we are weak. And strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, pray with me just one more moment, please. How can I bring this talk without going back to that place where that poor fellow fell down before the king and said, have pity on me. And the king freely forgave him of everything. How could I bring that talk without giving you the same chance to kneel before the king of kings? If you've never received forgiveness from God, maybe you thought it was religion, maybe you thought it was rules, but for the first time you just realize it's coming before the king and saying, I can't pay the debt. And realizing that Jesus paid it for you on the cross, and then three days later, he, he walked out of the grave under his own power. Do you realize right now, wherever you are, if you were to, in your heart, kneel before God and ask God to forgive you, he would do it. He'd forgive you of everything you've ever done. I want to ask you to pray with me if you're, if you're open to that. This is, a, this is not a magic prayer. These are just words that call out to God. But if you're ready to have that forgiveness and that relationship and that new start, of being freely forgiven for everything. Why don't you pray with me, okay? I'll pray it slowly so you can think about the words. Dear God, it's true. I owe a debt I can't pay. I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me and adopt me into your family. Please make me your child. I believe Jesus died in my place. I believe that his blood paid for my sins. And I trust my whole being to that truth. 
I turn from my old way of life and I turn to you. Thank you for forgiving me in Jesus' name.